Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, episode number 151, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Tenotic. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope you all enjoyed probably the best football Thanksgiving we've had in a minute, if memory serves. And on this one, I'm not sure that it does, because I feel like I usually glaze over uh, the Thursday football session, especially when it's a triple header and one game is going to definitely involve the Detroit Lions, but we had a pretty good Thursday. We'll get to, I think we'll talk about all the games uh, as we jump straight into this episode with my standout seven. However, we're going to need to talk about a few things that happened from last Sunday, of course, before we get into the Thursday slate. So we're going to start with the bigger story. We've only got two this week before we start jumping around. Um, number one, now, mind you, we start making these topics, we being me, I start making these topics on an NFL Sunday live as the games are going on. I'm taking notes and jotting down things that I think that are interesting. So I had bigger W, the Patriots beating the Jets on that pretty much walk-off punt return touchdown, or the Washington Commanders doing their job beating the Texans, and finding themselves all the way back in the NFC playoff hunt. Now, the reason I felt the need to give that preface is because, obviously, the New England Patriots went out there and lost on Thursday night football. They moved into a tie with the Jets at 6-4, and four, and then after that loss, they are 6-5. and five. We'll talk about that game, but we'll get started with their win over the Jets. And trust me, we're going to go full Jets breakdown mode in a little bit here. But this was a, it wasn't an entertaining game by any stretch of imagination, but it was an old school football game. It was impotent Jets offense, bordering on incompetent times here and there when you're seeing Zach Wilson missing some pretty easy check down throws here and there, especially on a third and one, I believe towards the tail end of the game might have been the last throw of the game. But uh, yeah, I mean... A few weeks back, we broke down the Jets and Giants, and I discussed the things that gave me cause to pause about them, and pretty much both of them was the quarterback position. I said coming in, and this is, I believe, pre-Brees Hall injury, or maybe the week of the Brees Hall injury, I said, well, they've got some talent on the offense, the defense is really playing for solid, but I haven't seen anything out of Zach Wilson that would make me think he can make a play when they need him to. If he were in a situation like a Jimmy G, where he can just kind of coast through, maybe he can pull it off. Well, he couldn't coast through this one, and Bill Belichick's defense looked tremendous. I mean, let's be fair. Robert Sala's defense looked just as good. This was 3-3 with under a minute left in the game. Um, It was a huge win for New England. Granted, some of the shine comes off of it because of the Thursday night loss. Um, It was a good game. I'll say this, we'll just go Vikings-Pats here, we'll break it down, keep it concise. Um, Mac Jones played about as well as you could expect him to play. 28-39, 382. That is a big-time game. When I talk about some of these quarterbacks, these young quarterbacks, and you may wonder, what does he mean when he says he needs to see something? Is it, a, is it one throw here? Is it a big run from Justin Fields? Is it, oh, wow, look at the cannon arm on so-and-so? No, it's something like this. It's Mac Jones. You don't have to throw for 380 for me to say I saw something, by the way. But what I mean is when your team needed you to step up, you stepped up. 
and we had the weird play here with Hunter Henry, and the Patriots fans are pretty angry about, you know, he looked like he caught the ball, fell into the end zone, and they called it not even a catch. I'd say this. I think I saw a clip a few weeks ago of Ben Roethlisberger. I believe he's doing his own podcast at this point. Um, shout out to Ben. But Ben's still mad about the no-touchdown call that they had against New England in Heinz Field uh, years and years and years ago. So I saw people online say, oh, people say the Patriots always get the calls. Yeah, you guys do. For for quite some time, for almost the bulk of Tom Brady's career, if not the entirety of Tom Brady's time in New England, if there was a controversial call, it was going in favor of the New England Patriots. It's You're flipping coins here, and you've hit heads eight times in a row, and it's just really hard for me to believe. But here we are. All things considered, it was a good showing for New England. It was an impressive game. This is a Vikings team that just got punched in the mouth by da- excuse me punched in the mouth by Dallas. But coming into that Dallas game, they were considered a top three, top two team in the NFC, a top five team in the NFL, and we saw why they were. Just under 300 yards for Kirk. He throws a pick in this one. Three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook kind of got shut down. Same with Madison. You know, 25 touches between them on the ground for 53 yards, but it didn't matter. Justin Jefferson did what he had to do. Adam Thielen did what he had to do. TJ Hawkinson chipped in a touchdown. We even had a Jalen Rager sighting. Pretty big win for Minnesota to bounce back on short rest, and I don't think you should be too disappointed if you're a Patriot fan because, let's be honest, guys, they're not as good as this Viking team. They're just not. And the fact that they were able to keep up with them blow for blow was pretty impressive to me, if I'm being completely honest. Now, the Commanders. I would say, before we even get started... The bigger win has to be the Patriots. It's a division game. It's a team they're tied with. It has to be them. Now you might say, well, Nick, you're the one that makes these lists. So why, why, oh, why would you then include the Washington Commanders when you said straight off the rip that you're not going to say they had the better performance? Well, the thing is, I wanted to talk about the Washington Commanders having a hot streak here. I don't think we've shown them as much love. I mean, you know, right now, the Washington Commanders, since losing back-to-back-to-back games here, actually four in a row at one point, they lost to Detroit by nine, Philly by 16, Washington by 15, the Titans by four. They go out and beat the Bears, they beat the Packers, they beat the Colts, they lose to the Vikings, which is nothing to be ashamed of, They beat the Eagles on Monday night, and then they beat the Texans. That's a hot streak. That is a bona fide hot streak for a team that is now all in with Taylor Heineke. And it's interesting to me, and I keep coming back to this, because we've talked about the Carson Wentz, or excuse me, the Matt Ryan thing with Frank Reich, and I think you're seeing with Ron Rivera the way Frank Reich wanted it to play out. The difference is Taylor Heineke has much more professional experience than Sam Ellinger on the football field. Not in the practice field, on the football field. Taylor Heineke put up a fight in a playoff game, right, against Tom Brady. So what I mean by that is he wanted the guy to come in, take the reins like Taylor Heineke has, and make the decision for him. And Ron Rivera didn't come out and say immediately... This is Taylor's team for the rest of the year. No, he could have. He has infinitely more cachet than Frank Reich. 
He did not do that because he's savvy enough to realize if Taylor Heineke goes out there and they lose, instead of winning the games I just described, if they go out there and go on a little losing streak, he may have to go back to Carson. You can't burn that bridge. Granted, earlier in the year, I ripped him because he was ripping Carson Wentz, I thought, a little unfairly and publicly at that. Here we are. Nobody's perfect. Taylor Heineke has the team, and now, you know, what Ron Rivera arguably probably wanted to happen all along can happen. Right? So, are the Commanders a legitimate threat in the NFC? Right now, the Eagles are the one seed, obviously, 9-1. and one. The Vikings are the two seed at 9-2. and two. The three seed is the leader of the NFC West, which, per tiebreaker I'm looking at here, is the 49ers at 6-4. and four. Leader of the South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, would be the four seed at 5-5. Five and five. We get into the wild card teams. We have Dallas at eight and three as the five seed. The Giants is seven and four. I believe this is an updated. I believe are they not seven and five now? No, seven and four. Giants at seven and four, right? As the six, and then coming in at the bottom, you have Seattle six and four, right nipping at their heels. Is this Commanders team at six and five? Who do you have more faith in, Taylor Heineke or Geno Smith? Um, I mean, we're not picking between the uh, the two best QBs in the league here, but it's two guys that are scrappy, two guys that have got their team to fight with them. Um, that may be what it comes down to. I mean, we'll talk about the Giants in a little bit. They're kind of falling off the deep end here. Will we see a team like... Atlanta at 5-6 and six make their presence felt. Will we see Detroit do something? I doubt that. I think the loss to Buffalo kind of sealed that. Um, same goes for the Cardinals sitting at 4-7 and seven with Kyler Murray having missed some time here. But just wanted to show some love to the Commanders. The bigger win's got to be the Patriots. Commanders, shout out to you guys getting back in there. And you know what? They almost pulled off the upset last time they made the postseason. Wouldn't shock me, folks. Wouldn't shock me if they found a way to make some noise come postseason time. Number two in the standout seven. We're going a little different here. Still keeping a bigger story, but we're not going wins and losses. We're going rumor hunting here. Bigger story, Sean Payton interested in the Chargers or the Cardinals. Now, there have been murmurs, and I honestly was out in front of this one, I think, that Brandon Staley after another underachieving year, if the Chargers don't make the playoffs, may not be the coach of this team. There were some insinuations that even if they do make the playoffs, barring a Super Bowl run or a run to the title game at least, he's not going to be the coach of this team. I thought they might give him next year. We'll see what happens, but supposedly Sean Payton, Super Bowl champion, is interested in the L.A. Chargers. And Let me know what you guys think. Charger fan, Cardinal fan, social media, as usual, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Or, if where you're listening has a comment section, feel free to drop it down there. If you were Sean Payton, we'll do this two ways, by the way. If you were Sean Payton, would you rather coach the Cardinals with Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, or would you rather coach the Chargers and Justin Herbert? And the reason I'm only mentioning the off- offensive side of it is because, I mean, Sean Payton is an offensive coach. When you look at the defense of both of these teams, you do have some standout talent. You have Derwin James. 
You have Bosa. You have Mack. You have Asante Samuel Jr. You go over to Arizona. You have J.C. Jackson, who was just acquired this past offseason. You go to the Arizona side, and you have a lot of athleticism. You have Buda Baker. You have Isaiah Simmons. Um, J.J. Watt still under contract there, right? Aging, but still a good player. Obviously, they lost Chandler Jones, which was a big one. Uh, probably part of the reason they're sitting at 4-7. and seven. I think if I'm Sean Payton and I'm putting the visor on, I'd rather go to L.A. And it comes down to this. The depth of talent around Justin Herbert is greater than the depth of talent around Kyler Murray on the offensive side of the ball. Point blank for me. What it comes down to is a receiving core of Mike Williams, when healthy, obviously. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, um, Austin Eckler in the backfield. I've liked what I've seen out of Josh Palmer this year. DeAndre Carter has contributed. You know, I'm a Gerald Everett guy. I like that receiving core a lot. I think you can make a great offense out of that talent. I expected them to carve a great offense out of that talent. You take a look at Arizona. This has been my issue since last season. I was super high on them after the Hopkins trade. I still like Kyler Murray. You know, if you go back years and listen to the shows, I thought people were overrating him, and then it came to the point where they were underrating him, which is an interesting spot to be in. Right now, he's not having a tremendous year, but his star receiver did miss quite a bit of time. James Conner, their leading back, less rushing yards than Kyler Murray. They've got Hollywood Brown, pretty good piece. He's having a decent year. Rondale Moore, pretty good piece. He is as well. Ertz is hurt. He's aging. A.J. Green is aging. They might need to go out there and make a little bit of a splash move. I like Hollywood Brown. I like Rondale Moore. I like Hopkins. I think tight end. I'm not sure what the tight end market is going to be or the draft. With Ertz having come off of a big injury, if he's back with them next year, that would need to be a splash spot for them, and I think Peyton would be interested in, especially considering the best Saints offenses uh, since the Super Bowl team had Jimmy Graham. Split out a wide receiver a lot, but Jimmy Graham obviously was a tight end, and he was a superstar. And after he left New Orleans, he was never that same level of star. So, food for thought. If I'm Sean Payton, I want to go to L.A. Now, here's the other side of the equation. Which one of these teams should be more desperate to acquire the services of one Sean Payton. I would make the argument it should be Arizona. Now, I say that because I don't think the Chargers have the same issue that, let's say, the New York Jets organization has, where they're very concerned about playing second fiddle to the other team in the town. The Rams are having a rough year, but they were Super Bowl champs last year. If this was the Giants and the Jets, the Jets would be making the splash move to catch up with the Giants or vice versa, right? That's the way the New York sports teams interact with each other. In L.A., where it seems like, you know, especially at Rams games, there's barely even a home field advantage sometimes. I doubt that they'd be going out there saying, let's go spend a whole bunch of money on a head coach so we can jump out in front in this two-horse race. I don't think they care. I think that's because of the fan base and because of the town. The Dodgers are there. The Angels are there. You know, you take a look around the L.A. Kings, the L.A. Lakers, the Clippers. There's a lot of teams in town, 
and a lot of teams with a lot more of a connection to this fan base, I don't think you should necessarily be worried about making the splash move there. The reason I say Arizona is because Kyler Murray, I don't think, has really developed the way they thought he would. I think Justin Herbert's a pretty good QB. I think right now he's better than Kyler Murray. Um, I always say, dating back to when he was in college, people had him as a super high draft pick, and then he just happened to stay, and he fell because they felt like he should fall, right? Put it that way. But pretty darn talented and a lot of talent around him. The Cardinals need Sean Payton more. Nothing against Cliff Kingsbury, but being brought in as a QB whisperer, offensive sort of guy, your offense can't go stagnant when you lose your star wideout. I know it's going to happen, right? I get it. It's, I look at Green Bay's passing game at several parts of this year when they lost Devontae Adams, obviously, in free agency. But the thing is, it can't be for the entire time. There has to be stretches where it's like, okay, we're figuring something out. We're going to do this instead. We're going to move Hollywood or Brown around and do that. We're going to do this with the running game. We're going to do this with Zach Ertz. We're going to develop this XYZ. We're going to poach from this offense and do yada, yada, yada. I haven't seen that. And the fact that I haven't seen that leads me to believe the Cardinals should be in on Sean. Now, you take a look at Sean's last handful of years here. Even up to his final season, winning record. Five consecutive winning records to end his tenure in New Orleans. 11-5, and 13-3, 13-3, 12-4, 9-8. Obviously, the big one would be the no call in the game against the Rams. If you remember, I believe that was the year the Rams went to the Super Bowl and lost to New England in the Snoozer Bowl. Uh, I remember it not so fondly. <clears throat> but either way, you know, you're looking at a guy with a career playoff record of 9-8. and eight. Even if you take out the Super Bowl year, 6-8, and eight, fairly respectable, right? The final four playoff appearances, they won a playoff game in three out of those four years. Pretty darn good coach. Granted, he had Drew Brees. He had a lot of talent around him, but these teams have talent as well. Maybe he can cultivate that in Kyler Murray. Maybe he can. I think he could certainly do it with Justin Herbert. So if I'm Brandon Staley, I'm a little scared for my job here in these rumors, but neither here nor there. Moving on to number three in the standout seven. I told you we'd get there, and here we are. Let's start with the New York teams collapsing. Number three, the New York Jets. Um, what is there to say? What is there to say that hasn't already been said about Zach Wilson and the way this game was handled? I am in the camp that I don't necessarily think it was the biggest deal that he came out and they said, oh, do you, do you think you feel bad for the defense that you let him down? No. It's not the biggest deal, right? Because I, I tend to think, and I don't know this for a fact, you know, I'd say that overtly. I don't know this for a fact. I don't think the guys in the locker room are sitting there and listening to their quarterback's press conference. Let's hear what he says. I think they talk to him after the game themselves, right? So, I'm not certain that that really registered for them as much as it registered for us. Maybe I'm wrong, right? I have no idea. But at the same time, it's a bad look. I mean, you have people calling him 
selfish, garbage, childish, this, that, and the third. Like, look, where were you the rest of the season? I'm not saying that Zach Wilson is this awful guy. I'm saying that judging from the play he's had on the field, seven games started, right? Seven games started. Five and two. Look at him go. 56% completion percentage. 1,300 yards, four touchdowns, five picks. He's a passenger. It's okay. It happens. He's a passenger. I mean, what do you want me to tell you, folks? You take a look. Oh, 56% completion. 55.6 to be exact. That's awful, right? It's not good. It's the exact same completion percentage he had last year. The exact same. 13-game sample size, 7-game sample size. The exact same. His interception percentage is down. I mean, yards per attempt is up. He's He just hasn't been that good. His QBR is, is up 15 points. Yeah, because last year was awful. Because he wasn't that good, and this year he hasn't been that good either. I mean, it, it's not rocket surgery, folks. I know it's a big, big town, right? It's a New York team, and people always say there's media bias, and there certainly is. The media being centered on the coast means that they look at those teams more than they'll look at a team like Cincinnati. More than they'll look at a team like the Chicago Bears. Right? Just the way it is. It's unfortunate, but it's the way it is. This Jets team, it, it, it isn't that good. And it was never that good. I mean, you take a look. They have You take away the fluky win they got over Cleveland... And they are a 500 ball club. They're not that good, folks. They beat the Steelers. Big deal. You take a look at that game. They win 24 to 20 in a game where Kenny Pickett throws three picks trying to lead a comeback, and he almost did. I mean, come on. They beat the Broncos. Tremendous. They beat the Packers. That was a good win. Good for them. They're 0 2 against Bill Belichick. It, it's Pedro Martinez saying the Yankees are his daddy territory, right? And it has been for quite some time. You know, they beat the Bills. Good for them. Would you bet any amount of money that they'll beat the Bills again? Would you bet any amount of money that they're locked to beat the Bears? Let me put it to cover the spread against the Bears this week. Justin Fields, who's been running all over the Bears offense that looks improved in recent weeks. They're going to run Mike White out there. I mean, look, Robert Sala called this offense dog bleep. And then the next day there was meetings on meetings on meetings. I don't know who made the decision. I don't know if Sala was convincing the front office to allow him to bench Zach Wilson or if the front office was calling Sala and saying, look, we have a chance to make the playoffs. We might have to make a move. I'm not sure who was caping up for Zach here. I mean, Zach even came out and said that he expected something of the sort, or it didn't surprise him, rather. Um, CBS was comparing Zach Wilson to Jamarcus Russell. I think that's a bit of a jump, because the big thing with Jamarcus Russell that's come out in years, obviously, was that the work the work ethic wasn't there. You saw him gain a bunch of weight, and then it's come out even after that, more recently, that there was a lot of things going on in his personal life that just wasn't reported on, that nobody seemed to care, or it wasn't shared, and it changed the way people perceived what happened. He was very talented. Rocket for an arm. People remember, I believe he was what? The throw from one knee at the LSU Pro Day? That's that's what got him picked number one. But uh didn't work out. Do I think Zach Wilson's in that camp? No, but he's 
I forget who said this. He's certainly closer. I believe it was Mike Greenberg. It might have been. He's closer to being Jamarcus Russell than he is to being Patrick Mahomes. And that's something I uh, I can't disagree with. That is 1,000% correct. Undis- indisputable. Excuse me. Indisputable. Um, will this team make the playoffs at this point? We talked about the these standings in the NFC. Let's just do the AFC in the interest of clarity. Right now, the number one seed is Kansas City at 8-2 and two by a half game. Two seed is the Bills at 8-3. and three. They have a percentage points lead over Miami, obviously. Three seed would be a tie between Baltimore and Tennessee right now, both at 7-3. and three. Call it 3-4, and four, whatever. We don't need to do tiebreakers. We've got plenty of games left. We get down to five. It's Miami at seven and three. At six, it's a tie between the Bengals at six and four, the Jets at six and four, and then the Patriots are six and five, nipping at the heels with full tiebreaker because they beat them twice. Oh, by the way, Chargers still in it at five and five. Colts still in it kind of at four, six, and one. It's crowded. Do I think this team will make the postseason? Well, let's take a look at the games they have left. Chicago, I'm not sure. We'll talk about it when we get to the pick'em portion, folks. The Vikings, no way. The Bills, no way. Detroit, I'm not sure. Jacksonville, probably. Seattle, maybe. Miami, is Miami playing for something? If they are, no. This team might end the year with eight wins. They might end the year with eight wins and they were six and three. That's just the way it is. And look, I tell you this much, the Giants aren't going to do much better in all likelihood here. If we're being honest, we'll talk about the Giants in a sec, but it's it's a little bit of a, a quote-unquote miracle run. Obviously, it's not a miracle unless you win the title, but it's a hell of a run for a team that wasn't supposed to be this good, and it's honestly exacerbating some of their issues in that they're making a move like this on Zach Wilson when realistically they're ahead of schedule Anyway, so if they would have gone 6-11, and 11, nobody would have said anything, and it would have been, all right, we got to see something from Zach next year. The kids played 20 games, and you're pulling the plug. I'm sure we'll see him again, right? The interesting one for me is you're pulling the plug for White and not Flacco. I'm a Flacco guy. Am I the only one on earth? Um, he's got the experience. It's intriguing to me that they'd go White over Flacco. Why is Flacco on the team, then? Just to sit in the quarterback meetings? Make him a coach. All right, whatever. Either way, let's move on to the other dumpster fire that is brewing here and talk number four in the standout seven, the New York football giants. It's, I've said it every episode. I'm a New York-centered guy. You knew you are going to get your New York fan the flames commentary here. Um, Daniel Jones did not look good against the Detroit Lions. He throws for 340, goes 27 of 44. He gets picked off by Aiden Hutchinson, who's one of the better ball-hawking D-linemen slash outside linebackers I've seen in recent time. I mean, the kid looks pretty good, man. But uh, no, in all seriousness, it was a great play by him. And then we see the later interception as well by Kirby Joseph. Did the Giants play awful? No. Um... This was the classic, somehow, the Detroit Lions, one of the worst defenses in the last decade. They shut down Barkley on the ground, right? And the Giants didn't really have a plan 
Once you have to put the ball in Daniel Jones's hands 40-plus times, you're probably not going to win that game. That's just the fact of the matter. Let's talk Thursday. Let's talk Turkey Day here. Giants go down to Dallas, and they are leading this football game, right? Which was relatively surprising. Um, Dak Prescott with two first-half interceptions, right? Some weird clock management during the Giants' two-minute drill, tail end of the first half, whatever. Um, Then we have third quarter, the game on the line, essentially. Because the Giants are down 14-13, if memory serves at the time, after a phantom defensive hold extended Dallas's drive. But it's Dallas in Dallas. They're going to get some calls. I hate that this is what... Look, I'm a a huge sports fan, in case it wasn't obvious, because I'm hosting a podcast that's 150 episodes deep. I hate when home field advantage extends to the referees. I'm not saying that's explicitly what happened here, but... It's very coincidental, and you can only believe in coincidences for so long, folks. I mean, home field advantage, oh, you got the crowd noise. Oh, you got to blow a timeout every once in a while. You get a false start. Okay, cool. But when it extends to, like, in other sports, you'll see it. Like, boxers, they'll fight in a certain city, and the judges will just make sure. Oh, they get the benefit of the doubt over here. Why? What, What are we doing, then? Why are we even doing this? Like, the whole point of the sport is to go out there and play and see who's best. And what are we doing? We're, we're goofing around. <laughs> and we're just saying, well, he looked pretty good. Eh, he's at home. We'll give it to him. Come on. Like, what are we doing? It's the same thing with superstar calls in the NBA. It's the same thing with superstar calls and weird strike zones for guys that aren't as established in Major League Baseball. I mean, Aaron Judge at 6'7", there's been years of him getting awful calls, and now all of a sudden they're starting to learn, oh, wow, yeah, that low pitch isn't a strike on this guy. Huh. Come on. What are we doing, folks? Either way, back to the matter at hand. Danny Dimer drops back to pass, and uh, he's got Saquon Barkley open in the flats, and he just misses him. And look, live, I thought Barkley straight dropped it. I did. On the replay, it's a hard catch. The throw's behind him. It's way way behind him. And, I mean, this is the problem. I talked about it with the Jets. It's the same thing. They're similar teams, right? But the the ironic thing is Dayball's brought in as the offensive-minded guy, and Saquon Barkley has had a, a darn good, you know, renaissance, if you will, on the career. And it's weird to me that we wind up in a a situation where, you know, they need a big throw out of their QB. They're going for it there, which is a gutsy play on the road, which I can respect to a certain in a certain regard, right? And he just misses him on on one of the easier throws of the day. Granted, he's got a pass rush coming at him. It's it's the NFL. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? In terms of difficulty for an NFL quarterback's throws, right? If we go through and we grade every throw ever made, right? We grade a Hail Mary at like a 9.9. We grade, you know, Eli Manning dropping it in the bucket to Mario Manningham at a 9.99. What difficulty would you give that Daniel Jones throw in the flats? A 5? A 6? Would you be generous and call it a 6? I'd say if you have a clean pocket, they're all mostly 5 or under. 
unless you're thrown into double coverage or you're like that that throw by Josh Allen on the final drive for Buffalo against Detroit, that was a dot. Right? In terms of execution, that's like a nine out of ten. Ten out of ten even. But in terms of difficulty, what would you give that? Significantly harder than dumping it off on fourth down to your star running back. You just got to put it within a, in a catchable spot out in front of them. That's all it takes. And that's where I am on, on Daniel Jones. I mean, I've heard people say, oh, look what he's done this season. Oh, they're going to have to extend him next year. Let's see. They're going to have to franchise tag him. Why? Why? I, I mean... Has he cut down on the turnovers? Yes. That's because they're leaning hard on the running game, right? And we've seen in these last two games, big games for them, by the way, seven and two before them. Saquon Barkley hasn't been able to get it going on the ground as much because teams realize, yeah, we're just going to try and make Daniel Jones beat us. And uh, he didn't. Didn't uh, didn't do much with the legs this week, Daniel Jones, and he missed the biggest throw of the game. After that, I mean, it's Cowboy ball and Giants territory. Cowboys take the lead even further, and then all the momentum's gone. The, the game's over at that point. You know, the tryptophan is setting in, and you're just snoozing in the recliner because you know that the Giants are uh, they're blowing this one. It is what it is. The reason I'm talking about the Giants' collapse is because we're going to look ahead at the upcoming schedule. We talked about the conference already. Six games remaining. I keep talking about this, folks. Two with the Commanders, who are right on their heels. Two with the Eagles. Giants fans have to hope, 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 hope the Eagles have the one seed locked up by that Week 18 matchup, so they have nothing to play for. If they have anything to play for, the Eagles will beat the Giants in that game, in all likelihood, right? You've got Commanders, Eagles, Commanders, then the Vikings on Christmas Eve in Minnesota, then the Jeff Saturday-led Colts on New Year's Day, and then that aforementioned Week 18 Eagles matchup. It's not looking good, folks. It's really not. What's it going to take to make the postseason? I mean, you've got a little bit of a gap because Green Bay had a bad start. Atlanta's sitting at 5-6-ish. and six-ish. You've got room to where it's it's certainly conceivable that this team could go two and four in their last six, which would be two and six in the last eight, by the way, and still sneak into a postseason berth. It's conceivable, right? But where are the two going to come from? Is it going to be both games against the Commanders? Because that would be pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. It's doable, but it's impressive. Is it going to be one against the Commanders, one against the Colts? Is it going to be the Colts and the Eagles playing for nothing? Because if that's the case, you're coming into Week 17 on a six-game losing streak. And that is red flags, alarms, blaring everywhere. I don't know, folks. I just don't know where the wins are going to come from. Number five in the standout seven. I I wanted to talk about this one because I was kind of confused. The Houston Texans have benched Davis Mills for Kyle Allen. Now, for those of you that haven't been watching all things Houston Texans, I will fill you in. Houston Texans are being led by Lovey Smith, former Super Bowl coach. Lovey, it's, it's been a while since he's had a head coaching opportunity, right? 
So, what did Lovey think this team was going to be? And I have this conversation every year. I'm sorry if you get tired of it, if you've been around for a while. First of all, thanks for sticking around for a while. But it's it's important to me. And I think this is something that bridges all sports. I think this bridges into fighting. This bridges into anything. What are your expectations? If your expectations entering the year for the Houston Texans was to compete for a playoff spot, you are either delusional or the most optimistic person in the state of Texas. That's what it comes down to for me, to be completely honest. This team's not good. They came into the year knowing they're not good. They came into the year knowing they're fighting for third place at best. The Titans were a high seed in the postseason. They lost some wide receiver depth, right, and talent, but they still have Derrick Henry. They still have Ryan Tannehill. They still have Coach Vrabel. They're going to be fine. The Colts were supposed to be a riser. They're still middle of the pack, right? The Jaguars haven't really done too much. But somehow they've done just as much, if not more, than the Houston Texans. Let's talk about Davis Mills' stats. By the way, Davis Mills' middle name is Compton. Bet you didn't see that one coming. Davis Mills in 10 games, 1-8-1. 11 touchdowns. 11 interceptions, 62% completion percentage, 2,144 yards. These are numbers that Jet fans would have killed for out of Zach Wilson prior to his injury. I'll put that out there. Um, He's had an interception in five consecutive games. Two picks in their last game against the Commanders, one against the Giants, two against Philly, one against Tennessee, one against the Raiders. He also had two against the Chargers, two against the Bears. So, riddle me this. Who on this schedule did you think you'd beat? Because in week one, he threw for 240 and two touchdowns, and you tied with the Colts when you shouldn't have. Right? You lose to Denver, underachievers, but still better than you. You lose to Chicago, ditto. You lose to the Chargers, better than you. You lose to Jacksonville. Oh, sorry, you beat Jacksonville. Excuse me. You lose to the Raiders, underachievers, but better than you. You lose to the Titans, who's going to win your division in all likelihood. You lose to the Eagles, the best team in the NFC. You lose to the Giants, who at the time were still a decent, hot team, right? Hot-ish. That was to go to 7-2, and two, I believe, for the Giants. Then you lose to Washington, who's on a hot streak. Who were you supposed to beat here? Uh, is it is it the interception numbers? Because I get it. Who on this team is supposed to be a talented target for Davis Mills other than Damian Pierce out of the backfield, maybe? Other than Brandon Cooks? I like O.J. Howard. It hasn't panned out in his NFL career. Don't give me him. Nico Collins is okay. Jordan Akins is all right. Philip Dorsett's hanging on to a career. Who's the guy? Who's the guy that's supposed to help your young quarterback? Damian Pierce is having a heck of a year. He really is. But uh, he can't do it all. He's got over 900 all-purpose already. What more does he have to do? My point is, what did you expect 
from Davis Mills with this core around him. I don't understand what, I don't know. It's frustrating to me when you see something like this. Not that I'm the biggest Davis Mills fan, but you take a look last year, and the kid had a 67% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, 10 picks. Okay, whatever. Two and nine. I mean, the team was awful. The team was bad. And this year, they're still bad. Let's take a look at Trevor Lawrence. 65% completion percentage this year, which, if memory serves, and it doesn't have to because I'll double-check, is an improvement over last year. Yes, indeed. 6% improvement. Last year, 12 touchdowns, 17 picks. This year, 13 touchdowns, 6 picks. Wow, that's pretty good. That's an improvement. Look at that. All it took was a new starting running back in Travis Etienne, a new number one wideout in Christian Kirk, a new tight end in Evan Ingram. They say, well, you were just talking about Damian Pierce. Davis Mills got a new running back. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. But uh, Trevor Lawrence got a Super Bowl champion head coach. Now, it's not to say Lovey's a bad coach. But if memory serves, that's the phrase of the day, I guess. Lovey was more defensively inclined than offense, no? Because if it's offense, he ain't doing the job. He's just not. You want to see more of Kyle Allen, right? Let me tell you about Kyle Allen here. Kyle Allen started 12 games as a Panther in 19. 3,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, 16 picks, right? Mediocre team. Mediocre Panthers team, to be fair. Like, head coach got fired. Cam Newton that season played two games. Will Greer played two games. Christian McCaffrey was there. Curtis Samuel was there. DJ Moore was there. Greg Olson was there. Way more talent around him then. Not so good. Got a shot in Washington last year. Hey. Played in four games, threw for 600 yards. Look at him go. Four touchdowns, one pick. Here's my point. I'm not picking on Kyle Allen. I think Kyle Allen is a competent backup quarterback, but the reason you're a backup quarterback is because you can't start. Right? It's not a Captain Obvious statement when it's true, and it needs to be said because it doesn't make sense to me the moves that are being made. They're not being made for now because there's nothing to win now. Your team is awful. There's nothing to win. You're in last place. You're the worst team in the league. What's the point of not letting him take the lumps? Then you extend it to, well, if it's not for now, it's got to be for later. No, you're taking out the young quarterback to play an older guy who hasn't shown that he can be the guy. Look, I, I hope he proves me wrong. And they go on a winning streak and Lovey Smith is ecstatic and yada, yada, yada. Lovey Smith's tenure in Houston is going to end probably relatively uneventfully. They're going to wind up, I don't know if it's this year or next year, or maybe the year after, if they don't supplement the talent on this offense, it doesn't matter who's a quarterback. Your team's going to lose. Your team is going to lose games because they're bad. Like, I don't understand what's expected of Davis Mills in this situation. The team is bad, guys. Open up your eyes and realize the team is just bad. I don't know. 
maybe I'm maybe I'm being that guy here. Probably. But it's it's just stupid to me. It the move doesn't make any sense. Benching Zach Wilson in New York makes sense cuz they're trying to win now. Okay, they're leveraging what might be their future guy for a chance to win now. You never know what could happen if you win now. I get it. I do. Fair enough. But at the same time, they recognize they're making that leverage, right? They're not saying, ah, we're never going to play Zach Wilson ever again. This kid's a bum, right? I haven't heard that. I haven't heard them say, we're completely moving on from Zach Wilson. We're going to cut him when the year ends. And I'm too, in defense of Houston, obviously, they're not saying that necessarily either. But it it's a bonehead move. Why? What purpose would it have? Let's say Kyle Allen wins you three more games. Are you Are you trying to... What? Help someone else move up in the draft? I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm sorry. Every once in a while this happens, i got to put this out there. This move makes no friggin' sense. Like, look, let's talk about tanking, right? Number six in the standout seven, we're going to talk about MLB draft lottery, so we'll, we'll combine the two. Tanking is a concept that exists because the best way to get better in professional sports is to be bad, really bad, get good young talent on affordable contracts, and then, miraculously, you're good. Right? Oh, how did we do it? How did we find a way to be good? I don't know. It's, it's, it's shocking to me. Look at the Houston Astros, pre-cheating. They were awful for years, and they stacked up number one picks, stacked up good picks, good picks, good picks. Made the team better. The Cubs found a way Made the team better. The Tampa Bay Rays, before becoming a pretty darn good budget baller franchise, kudos to them, were in the doldrums of the competitive-ish AL East for years. They were getting beaten to a pulp. I don't know. Um, I don't know what this move accomplishes, is my, my main point here. I don't know what it accomplishes. I don't understand the purpose. It's foolish. Let's talk draft lottery, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is because Major League Baseball is going to have their first ever draft lottery on December the 6th, which is coming up, so I've been holding off on this topic, but you know what, let's throw it in here, because why not? We're talking bad football teams. So, right now, the system that is devised for Major League Baseball's first ever lottery, the team with the worst record has a 16.5% chance to get the number one pick, same as the second and third worst team. Um, all the way down, you know, 13.2 for the fourth worst team, 10% for the fifth worst team. The 18th worst team, which is the last non-playoff team, 0.2%. You take a look at the NBA. Last year, um, the three worst teams had a 14% chance, right? Then the fourth team had a 125 all the way down to a 0.5% chance. Uh, there are less teams on this list, obviously. Although there is important to note, there's a different, you know, divvying up of the percentages, obviously, because somehow with more teams, the top three still have a higher percent in baseball. That's on purpose. The reason I bring this up, would the NFL ever go to a draft lottery? And I think the answer is no. Though I maybe would have said the same thing about baseball a few years ago, so I'm not certain. I thought that baseball would go to trading draft picks before they went to a draft lottery system 
granted, in baseball, it's not like football, right? In football, if Trevor Lawrence is the presumptive number one pick, teams will try to trade up to get Trevor Lawrence. In baseball, it's not necessarily rare, but up until the day of the draft, it's debated if you'd go here, ooh, they could go this guy, he fits their system better, ooh, they need a pitcher, you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't see in football, oh, uh, hmm. Let's say something happens to Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, God forbid, I'm not wishing anything bad on anybody. No injuries anywhere. If he were to get hurt, let's say Kansas City had an awful season, something happened, and they go 3-14. and 14. You wouldn't see them at number one going, well, you know, the best prospect is a quarterback, so let's see what we, well, we can have him sit on the bench for a while. No. It would be a team that needs a quarterback would trade up and get the quarterback. In baseball, there is no, to my knowledge, trading in the first round yet. You can trade, I believe you can trade compensation picks or something of that sort. Um, I know you can trade international signing pool thing. We won't get into the nitty-gritty of baseball. This is a football show. But the thing would be with football is you'd wind up in a situation, inevitably, where people would either A, call it rigged, which I don't think you'd want because... No sport wants to be accused of rigging anything. And B, you'd wind up in a situation where chance is determining too much, right? There's already fluky stuff that happens during the season. I don't have a problem with the Houston Texans, who are god-awful. Or maybe you could use that word that Robert Sala used to describe his offense um, to describe the Texans. I don't have a problem with them picking number one because their team is awful, right? Basketball has the lottery, and they think that, you know, teams are tanking and this and that. Realistically, front offices are approaching things from a a sort of game theory perspective, and I'm not an expert on game theory, so if I'm butchering this, let me know. Comment section, social media, and I'll apologize in advance. If I know, let's say I'm the Houston Texans last offseason, and I'm thinking, hmm, you know, Matt Ryan could get us a couple more wins if we got, ooh, Russell Wilson could get us a couple more wins. We Who knows? Or do I just say, yeah, we're bad. Let's be just as bad, if not worse, and then see what happens in the draft. It's one of those things where you're utilizing assets to try to get a chance to win or... You cannot use those assets. In this case, it would be whether it be salary cap or signing whatever player, this, that, and the third. And you could just say, you know, we're bad. Let's be awful. And we'll move up. We'll be guaranteed a chance to get a good player. Guaranteed a chance. And even in the draft lottery sports, if you're picking third instead of first, you're still in a pretty good spot. Right? I think in basketball, if you have a top three or a top five projection, you can't drop below five. If memory serves. Now, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a minute, but it's sort of a a protection sort of thing, so those uh, situations don't happen. But either way, I get it from a front office perspective. Is it what the fans want? No. But I, I think as we move into an era where I would argue fans know more and more about the game than ever, they wouldn't hate it. I mean, I've been saying for years, the New York Giants are are bad enough, obviously coming into this year notwithstanding, they were bad enough to be near the top of the draft, 
but they'd always find a way to fluke out a win or two and cost them. They cost themselves Chase Young by beating the then-Washington name redacted in a meaningless game. Absolutely meaningless. Chase Young at the time, and he still may be, was considered a generational pass-rushing talent. Could have been wearing Giants colors. Not the case. Either way, that'll bring us to the end. No, excuse me. That's the end of number six. Let's move into number seven and the standout seven. We'll just do an injury wrap-up real quick because we have quite a few to get to. Injuries and news, I should say. Uh, Cooper Cup out six to eight weeks for the Rams. The Rams season is uh, as close to over as it can be with Cup missing time and Stafford suffering another concussion. Um, Jamar Chase may return this week, may return next week. We'll take a look at the injury reports as we get into the pick'em portion. Um, this was a weird one. Supposedly the Jaguar Stadium has over 100 violations. I didn't read through the whole list. It's intriguing. I mean, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I assume a lot of the stadiums have a fair amount of violations considering the amount of people that are flowing in and out of them. So if the Jaguar Stadium has over 100, I wonder what something like Cowboy Stadium would have. I'm not trying to insinuate anything about Jerry Jones or the stadium. It looks beautiful. I just mean in general that, you know, the place is huge. You know how many people are flowing in and out of that building on a weekly basis? Sometimes bi-weekly, tri-weekly? Um, Wandale Robinson of the Giants, this is from last Sunday, tore his ACL. He's done for the year. Hendon Hooker tore an ACL. He's done for the year. That's college football big news because he's, you know, potentially a high draft pick at the quarterback position out of Tennessee. Uh, Kyle Pitts is done for the season, though, to be honest, if you're a Falcon fan, you're probably just supremely disappointed in the way he was utilized in the offense this year anyway. Uh, not saying you want him to miss the year, but you get my point. Missed progression uh, is the best way to put it. Melvin Gordon, cut by the Broncos. Interesting to me. I think he could still contribute somewhere. Um, Aaron Rodgers has said that he's been playing through a broken thumb since his game against the Giants in London. Okay. Sure. I mean, it's it's... Nice that we know now, I guess. You tried to play through it and be the cool guy, and then you'd say, oh, I was hurt the whole time. Well, now that your team is not great, oh, I was hurt the whole time. Eh, okay, doesn't hit the same. Um, Clyde edwards Lair, 2 IR for Kansas City. Kyler Murray, supposed to be back this week. Once again, we'll check injury reports. Uh, Justin Fields is going to be a game-time decision. Chase Young, who was supposed to come back last week, did not, is questionable this week, may not come back again for a pretty big game for the Commanders against the Falcons. Joe Mixon for the Bengals is out, and Von Miller reportedly suffered a meniscus injury on Thanksgiving. We saw that. I was thinking maybe ACL, but he was putting some weight on it. Uh, Not clear of the timetable right now. They were saying at least 7 to 10 days missed, which means he'd probably miss next week's game for Buffalo, but is he going to be able to put on a knee brace and play through it? I mean, you can kind of play through a meniscus injury, right? The ACL is destabilizing, and I, I know this. I'm not 100% BSing. I might butcher the science, but I'm not 100% BSing you here because when I was in college, I did an interview with an orthopedic surgeon, specifically because I was honestly just quite interested in these things. I thought they were uh, pretty darn intriguing. So... Either way, um, the meniscus, obviously, you need all the parts of your knee, but it's not an ACL, so it's not as bad as it could have been for the Buffalo Bills and for Vaughn. We'll see what happens. That'll bring us to the end 
of the standout seven and take us into my favorite portion, your favorite portion of this week's episode, the pick'em portion. We're going to get started with a one o'clock kick between the Houston Texans and the hosting Miami Dolphins. The Texans listing just one on their injury report. They're going to be without their high draft pick corner, Derek Stingley Jr. with a hammy. Dolphins, Raheem Mostert, running back, doubtful with a knee injury and questionable backup quarterback Teddy Bridgewater with a knee as well. Well, after I spent the whole episode eviscerating the Texans for their decision-making and their awful team, it'd be ironic if I picked them to win, and, well, I won't be doing that. Give me Miami to win this one at home. Our next game is a matchup between two AFC contenders. Playoff rematch, even. Cincinnati Bengals head to Tennessee to take on the Titans. As we said, Joe Mixon going to miss this one with a concussion. Questionable, wide receiver Jamar Chase with a hip injury. D-tackle Josh Tupu with a calf. Linebacker Joe Becci with a knee. And safety Daxton Hill with a shoulder. Titans going to be without outside linebacker Nico Autry with a knee injury. Questionable, backup running back Hassan Haskins with a hip Center Ben Jones with a concussion. D-tackle Jeffrey Simmons, which is a big one, with an ankle. Corner Christian Fulton with a hammy, another big one. And their kicker, Randy Bullock, with a calf injury. Kind of think you need your calf to be a good kicker. Um, This one's up in the air, mostly because of the status of Jamar Chase. The Bengals kind of snuck away with a win last year against Tennessee. And this feels like a game where without Chase and without Mixon, the Titans could sneak away with a win. I don't really like to do this, but I'm going to put it on there. You know, I'm going to take Cincinnati, but it's it's one of those games that I've got an asterisk on on my, my little score sheet here. I mean, take a look last week even. I had a score sheet where I had an asterisk on, on the Rams game. And then, obviously, everything happens with Matthew Stafford. He goes out and gets injured again. We went 10-4 and last week, which was pretty good, but could have been a little better. You know what? Got to pick one. We'll take Cincinnati. We'll take Joey B, though this feels like a game Tennessee should win. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm on the fence of flipping my pick here, but we'll go with what we wrote down. Give me the Bengals to pull off a pretty big one on the road. Next, we got a Super Bowl rematch. Isn't that exciting? Oh, wait, it's the Broncos heading to Carolina to take on the Panthers. Never mind. Broncos going to be without wide receiver K.J. Hamler with a hammy. Don't make the joke. That's insensitive. Man is hurting. Uh, also be without wide receiver Jerry Judy with an ankle. D-lineman Jonathan Harris with a knee. And corner K. Juan Williams with a wrist-elbow-knee combo injury here. Uh, questionable tight end Andrew Beck with a hammy and outside linebacker Jacob Martin with a knee. Panthers going to be without D-lineman Matt Ioannidis with a calf, outside linebacker Corey Littleton with an ankle, and safety Miles Hartsfield with a calf as well. Doubtful quarterback P.J. Walker with an ankle, tight end Giovanni Ricci with a neck. Questionable wide receiver Terrace Marshall Jr. with a shoulder, tight end Ian Thomas with an illness, and tight end Stephen Sullivan with an illness. Maybe something was going around in that tight end room. Um... I'm going to take the Broncos to win this game, mostly because someone has to. And I have a feeling their defense will make more plays than the Carolina defense, though honestly, I like the Carolina defense a lot too. So give me Denver to win this one, like I said, simply because somebody has to win. Next, the game we've discussed a little bit before, I gave you a little tease. The Chicago Bears head to New Jersey to take on the stumbling New York Jets. 
Bears can be without linebacker Sterling Weatherford with a concussion, DB Jaquan Brisker with a concussion, and DB Kyler Gordon with a concussion. Goodness. Questionable quarterback Justin Fields, who's fighting through an AC joint injury, supposedly. Maybe some ligament damage uh, in that shoulder. Jets going to be without D-tackle Sheldon Rankins with an elbow. Doubtful tight end Kenny Yeboa with a calf. And questionable offensive lineman Dwayne Brown with a shoulder. Now, I'm going to take the Bears, but I'm also going to throw an asterisk on this one. If Justin Fields doesn't go, this should be a game the Jets win fairly easily. Right? Theoretically, right? Without Justin Fields' explosiveness that has really jump-started the Bears' offense, what are they going to have? I'm taking the Bears, but I'm, I'm skeptical. It's got to be Fields out there. Next, what could be the sneaky game of the week? The Atlanta Falcons head to Washington to take on the Commanders in the race for the last wild card spot in the NFC. Falcons, listing just one is doubtful. D-lineman Jalen Dalton with a toe injury. Questionable. Running back Caleb Huntley with an ankle. Tight end Felipe Franks with a calf. Offensive lineman Chuma Idoga with a knee. And linebacker Arnold Ebikite with an arm injury. Commander is going to be without wide receiver Dax Milne with a foot. And corner Benjamin St. Jou with an ankle injury. Question mole tight end Logan Thomas, who's had some injuries to fight through this season to say the least. Uh, ribs for him and DN Chase Young, as we mentioned, still fighting through the rehab of that knee injury. I'm going to take the Commanders. I think they're the better football team. I think they've got more weapons, and I think Taylor Heineke is riding high in terms of confidence right now. Give me the Commanders to win this one on the road and start breathing down the neck of those New York Giants. Next, Tommy Boy and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to Cleveland to take on the Cleveland Browns. I believe this is the final game for the Browns in the pre or, or in between Deshaun Watson era. Yep, he will be back next week, eligible to be back, that is, against the Houston Texans, ironically, of course, because the scheduling department gets some of them right. Um, Buccaneers going to be without guard Luke Gadecki on the offensive line with a foot. Doubtful, running back Leonard Fournette with a hip injury. Uh, I believe, actually, he's not going to play. I'm reading a... a thing here. It says that Justin Fields... Sorry, reading some updates. It says that Justin Fields is going to warm up but is unlikely to play. So I've said it here first. If Fields doesn't go, I'm on the Jets. Um, either way. Yeah. So, with that being said, no Leonard Fournette in this game and questionable, their defensive lineman Vita Vea with a foot. Brown's going to be without just one. Corner Greg Newsom with a concussion. I'm taking the Bucks to win this game every time. And, well, let's just move on after that. I think the Buccaneers are kind of rounding into form. Like I said, I've made the illusion multiple times. So that was last ride Broncos for Peyton. Might be the same for Tommy Boy. That team rounded into form. Let's see what happens. Next, our final 1 o'clock kick. The Baltimore Ravens head on to Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars. Going to be without their left tackle, Ronnie Stanley with an ankle injury, and corner Jalen Armour Davis with a hip. Questionable, the Gus Bus with a hammy slash knee injury. Two wide receivers, Devin Duvernay and Demarcus Robinson with a hammy and hip injury respectively, as well as tight end Isaiah Likely, who's been a pretty decent contributor for them with an ankle, and rookie safety Kyle Hamilton with a knee injury. Jaguars listing no one. 
on their injury report, which doesn't happen too often, especially this late in the year. Doesn't matter to me. I'm taking the Baltimore Ravens to win this one on the road. Next, in what is our first of two 405 kicks, the underachieving Raiders head to take on the overachieving Seahawks in Seattle. Raiders listing running back Josh Jacobs questionable with a calf injury. Offensive lineman Colton Miller as well with a shoulder slash abdomen. D lineman Kendall Vickers with a back and linebacker Luke Masterson with a rib injury. Seahawks listing just one. Dwayne Eskridge at wide receiver going to miss this one with a hand injury. If you told me at the beginning of the year this matchup would have a team coming in at 6-4 and four and 3-7, and seven, I think 99% of people would assume that the records were the other way. But alas, they're not. And since this Raiders team loves to find ways to lose, I'm going to take Seattle to bring this, one, bring this one home at home and stay in the playoff hunt. Next, and we brought this up because of this matchup. I didn't allude to it before, but... The L.A. Chargers, in the other 405 kick, will head to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. Kind of awkward, don't you think? Chargers going to be without wide receiver Mike Williams with an ankle, safety Nasir Adderley with a thumb, and questionable corner Michael Davis with a knee injury. Cardinals missing some key players here. Going to be without Rondale Moore with a groin. Zach Ertz, obviously, with a knee. Offensive lineman DJ Humphreys with a back injury. Corner Byron Murphy with a back as well. And safety Charles Washington with a chest. Questionable third-string quarterback Trace McSorley and wide receiver Greg Dortch, who's fighting through a thumb injury. I'm going to take the Chargers to win this one. Um, If you're Sean Payton, and... As usual, comment section, social media, wherever you want to tell me. Or, you know, just say it out loud. Maybe I'll hear you. If you're Sean Payton and you want to coach one of these teams, let's say you want to coach either of these teams, you're not decided, who are you rooting for? Do you want the team you wind up coaching to lose so there's a better chance they fire their coach and hire you? Do you think that because you're Sean Payton, it doesn't really matter even if, like, let's say the, let's say the Cardinals go on a run and they barely miss the playoffs or even if they make it? You think Sean's like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm Sean Payton. I'll walk in and take the job anyway. I don't know. Food for thought. Uh, I know who I'm taking, though. I'm taking the Chargers, like I said, to win this one on the road. Speaking of Sean Payton, the New Orleans Saints play at 425, and they'll take their road trip to Santa Clara to take on the Niners. They're going to be without D-lineman Peyton Turner with an ankle injury, linebacker Pete Werner with an ankle as well, and safety JT Gray with a hammy. Questionable a laundry list of important names. Running back Mark Ingram with a knee injury, guard Andrews Pete with a tricep, DN Cameron Jordan with an eye, DN Marcus Davenport with a calf, and corner Marshawn Lattimore with an abdomen injury. 49ers listing just two, doubtful D-lineman Eric Armstead with a foot-slash-ankle, and questionable wide receiver Debo Samuel with a hammy. I think the 49ers have more than enough firepower to take down this Saints team. Give me the Niners to win at home. Looking at another matchup that looked great on paper at the beginning of the year, the L.A. Rams head to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs in our other 425 kick. The Rams going to be without quarterback Matthew Stafford, without center Brian Allen with a thumb, obviously Stafford in the concussion protocol, uh, without D-lineman Sean Robinson with a knee, and linebacker Traven Howard with a hip. Questionable wide receiver Allen Robinson with an ankle, Tylen Tyler Higby with a knee. Offensive lineman Matt Scora and Ty Inseki with knee and ankle injuries, respectively. Chiefs going to be without wide receiver Kadarius Toney with a hammy. That hammy that he told the Giants was totally fine and was nothing to worry about, mind you. Um, 
I don't know if it's the same hammy. I just think it's ironic. Questionable offensive lineman Joe Tooney with an ankle. Corner Chris Lamons with a concussion. And safety Juan Thornhill with a calf injury. I'm going to take the Chiefs in this one. If they're not facing Matthew Stafford, I don't think they really have too, too much to worry about. I know sometimes they've been bound to fall asleep during certain games and the offense will just kind of, you know, nod off and they'll have to come back and score 20 points in a quarter. I don't think that should be an issue this week. Give me Kansas City to win big at home. Next, speaking of games that sounded great at the beginning of the year, and who knows, maybe it'll still turn into a decent one. We head to Sunday Night Football where the Green Bay Packers head to Lincoln Financial Field to take on the Eagles. Packers listing Romeo Dobbs is out with an ankle injury. I'm fairly certain I've called him Dubs over and over again, but I've heard his Dobbs, so I'll call him Dobbs. Sorry, Romeo, if you're out there listening. Uh, doubtful, linebacker Devondre Campbell with a knee injury. Questionable, lineman David Bakhtiari with a knee and corner Shamar Jean-Charles with an ankle. Eagles listing, non-applicable. Go figure. I'm taking Philly to win this one at home. I still think somewhere in there in Green Bay is a team that can just pound the ball and do the job and sneak away with some wins here and there. Unfortunately for them, Philly is not a team that you can really do that against. Um, to my knowledge, look, if they pull it off, it'd be pretty darn impressive. But bringing in Linval Joseph and Adamakin Sue to shore up the interior line, added to a defense that is already one of the best in the league, considering they have one of the best offenses in the league as well, it's going to be hard for me to pick against Philly, especially at home, and I don't think I will. Next, a Monday night matchup that sounded tremendous a few years ago. The Pittsburgh Steelers head to Indy to take on the Colts. Uh, the Saturday era is well underway. I'm going to take the Colts to win this one. Um, if this game was in Pittsburgh, I would be inclined to say, well, maybe Kenny Pickett can get a signature win, quote-unquote, during his rookie season. Is it really a signature win if you beat a team that's on an interim coach? I'm not sure. He's still got a couple of interesting games left. Maybe he could sneak one out against Baltimore. They got both of their games still coming. Um, unfortunately for Mr. Pickett, who I am a fan of, I don't think he's got enough to win this one. Give me the Colts staying in the hunt with a win at home. Next, our Thursday night football game, and this one is uh, pretty big to say the least. The New England Patriots, fresh off of a big win and then a big loss, play host to the Buffalo Bills. This could impact the entire division. This could impact the entire AFC playoff picture which in turn impacts the entire race to the Super Bowl. But I've got Buffalo winning on the road. Now, here's the thing. If the Mac Jones that played against the Vikings shows up for this game, if he shows up for the rest of the year, I mean, my goodness, they're going to be a completely different team, honestly. Um, But I'm not certain that'll happen. In fact, I would say I'm fairly certain that's not necessarily going to happen. So, uh, at the end of the day, I'm going to take the Bills to win this one. I think they've got too much firepower and injury or not to Josh Allen's elbow. They had enough to get it done against Detroit. It's a little bit of a harder one. It's going to be on the road, but good teams win these games, and I think the Buffalo Bills are a pretty darn good team. That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode, episode number 151. Thank you for joining us, folks. Uh, As always... Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Uh, Back on Saturday this week, sorry for the change-up. We've been on Friday the last couple of weeks. 
trying to keep it on Friday, but sometimes, you know, life gets in the way. Uh, truly, thank you all for joining us. Hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Hope you're ready for the home stretch of the NFL regular season here, and I hope you join us next weekend. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.